Okay, so we are live now. <clears throat> uh, welcome uh, to our study. Today we will be studying Genesis 8, the uh, conclusion of the flood itself, though not of the flood narrative. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's open with prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are faithful and true to your promises in your word. As we study your word now and the especially your fulfillment of your promises to Noah, strengthen our faith in the promises you've made to us, that we may always rest <clears throat> in your care, trusting in your grace, and live our lives in joyful service in your kingdom. This we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> Genesis uh, chapter 7 is what we read last time, two weeks ago, and we left uh, Noah and his family and all the animals in the ark uh, floating about and the flood. The waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days, we are told. And now we uh, turn to the uh, conclusion of the flood, and what I'd like to do to begin with is just to read the first, well, let's just read the, uh, yeah, the first eight, uh, 19 verses. <clears throat> and uh, maybe if you could have somebody read uh, to the end of verse 12 and someone else from 13 to 19, please. I'll start. Thank you. <clears throat> but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had gone down, and on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was no, there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. <clears throat> In the 601st year of the first month, 
the first day of the month, the waters were dried from all the earth. And Noah removed the corning of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you in all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth, and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Thank you very much. <coughs> right. We're going to start with a little uh, work that you have to do. Uh, so, here's your task. How many parallels or to or echoes of Genesis 1 can you find in this chapter? Of the things that we have heard, how many uh, allusions to or similarities with Genesis 1 can you spot? Well, the number of the people that are in the ark, Noah, his sons and his wives and his how, wives. How is that related? To, how, how is that related to Genesis 1? Oh, Genesis 1. Genesis 1. Oh, not. I thought I was thinking the beginning of this one. Be fruitful and multiply. Say that again. Be fruitful and multiply. Aha, so we've got that phrase, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. yeah. In fact, what else do you find in that? <clears throat> in the same verse. Uh, There's a verb there. Swarming. Swarming, okay. No, yeah, so got... we had the uh, swarming. We'll come to that. Yeah, I'll come back to that. Any other parallels uh, with the um, creation account? Well, there's a lot of water involved in uh, Genesis 1 verse 6. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Um, and obviously in Genesis 8, it's all about the water. Yes. And the tenuous but <laughs> Not that tenuous. What well, a little bit later on, it says, "So let them expands," and then a little bit later, what does what does God do though? Before, what does He do to the waters in Genesis one, other than setting expands? Let them team with the living creatures. Yes. <clears throat> There's also the separating of the waters and let the dry land appear. <coughs> yeah. The waters separate dry, dry land appearing. Anything else? 
to take that as a resounding no. <laughs> well, we begin with the whole thing. What <clears throat> Verse 1. Have a look at the verse 1. It's a little bit, it's not in, completely direct, but it's indirect. About the, the wind? Mm. Wind and water. And here it says, blow wind blow over the earth, but of course the earth is covered with water. And in Genesis 1, we have at the very beginning, the spirit of God was hovering above the waters. Now, it's a little bit uh, difficult to spot in English because we have the word spirit and the word wind. In Hebrew, they're the same word. And in fact, there has been an ancient debate as over whether the uh, reference in Genesis 1 is to the spirit of God or whether it's a wind from God. And of course, we don't necessarily have to entirely choose between one and the other. <clears throat> Good, so there are quite a lot... So, the, the reason I, I want to start with that, other than to make you do some of the work, uh, was that um, the parallels here are very clear and very deliberate. What we have here is not just at the end of the flood, but something uh, more significant still, which is that this is very much presented to us as a, re a new creation. God's original creation was ruined by sin, and he destroyed it, kept the righteous Noah, and he kept the life forms that he had created. And now he begins again with Noah, restoring, renewing uh, creation. <clears throat> we had a, um, a couple of other things which I will point to as we, uh, as we go through, which are also um, <coughs> put us in mind of that. They also There are some details here. Uh, which put us in mind of things yet to come after Noah, all of which ultimately uh, point to Jesus. So I'm hoping that by the end of this, we not only are reminded of what happened to Noah and his family and to the ark and to the animals, but we learn more about Jesus in the process. <clears throat> Has anyone got any other thoughts or comments about this before? Well, yes, it comments so. on the fact that he... The the portals were closed, so the rain stopped, which means uh, it's still saying that there might have been water all around the world before before Noah, before God did this. Yeah, we will, we'll see in a minute how exactly what order things things took place. Yeah. David. Yeah. Um, verse one, when, you, when um, Mike read it out, it just struck me that in the ark there were beasts as well as livestock, you know, um, once maybe one in one stall and another in the other stall in the in the ark, and it just spoke to me of of God's grace even for beasts because they don't even they don't really get a good press in the in the Bible generally you know you don't yeah. want to hang out with a beast, and then you just mentioned there about um, pointing forwards into Christ and maybe even beyond it says one of the prophets said about the the lion will sit down with the the lamb you know and I just thought well one's a beast and the other is uh, livestock. And yet it's as if prophetically all of creation is safe in Christ, the ark. Yeah, absolutely. And there's the whole, both the domestic and the wild, if you like, are brought together. <clears throat> um, and, and this all kind of, again, points to the uh, this sort of new creation uh, theme. 
that we have there is you know there is this like there's a truce uh between bees and livestock i mean bees covers <laughs> not just predators obviously predators it covers wild animals but nevertheless there is this uh if like domestic domestication temporary domestication mm. of uh lives uh, of of the um natural world good thank you <clears throat> Right, so let's uh, go then to back to the beginning, chapter uh, chapter eight, verse one. And this first sentence is incredibly, or these first words uh, are incredibly uh, important. Um, <clears throat> but God remembered Noah and the <coughs> livestock that were with him in the ark. God remembered. Now, when we say God remembered, or we read God remembered, what does that you know? What what does that language sort of imply or express? Well, uh, is he trying to um, explain the fact uh, in this that um, something we would understand? I mean, I don't know. God's probably can re- God can probably remember everything. He, I, 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 you know, if you equate this with a human brain, um, I know we're in God's likeness, but uh, His brain must be enormous, so uh, he he wouldn't fail to remember. So what to so say when if he if he then says God remembers, what does that word remember mean? Then it doesn't mean that he he didn't forget in a kind of uh, amnesia kind of way like you and I do well what uh, kind of what kind of put it this way what kind of remembering are we talking about well he only wanted to, this to happen for a certain time and then it would stop yeah so he's reminded now isn't he of what he, of what's happening at this particular time. Yeah. Yes. Anything more? Could it be that um, the length of time it took is longer than we appreciate as the time that it says there, and that he had to remember that he's there because there was a long time before it was finished? Uh, I don't think so, because we're told quite specifically what the length of time is. <clears throat> This remembering is important. Sorry, Cynthia, you look like you're about to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's almost like a comfort, you know, that God has said, I've not forgotten you. Mm. Um, you know, so there's a, a comfort that God remembers. I take your objection to a couple of words in what you said. Okay. Almost <laughs> like. Okay. Okay, well, can we delete almost like? It is a comfort, okay? <laughs> uh, the The remembrance here is... Uh, is, is a really important term with, uh, throughout the scriptures and it's, it's nothing to do with the opposite of forgetfulness, but rather that God, it's, it's a, it's the sort of expression that is used throughout scriptures, um, uh, in various settings. So for example, one of the Psalms says, remember Lord, not our offenses. Don't remember our offenses, which is almost like a calling to mind. Do not call to mind our offenses. Uh, or in, um, in the, uh, New Testament, uh, in, in Luke's gospel, we've got these, uh, 
canticles in, in Luke's gospel, so songs of Mary and of Zechariah and of uh, Simeon. And, uh, <clears throat> for example, Magni- the Magnificat says this at the end of, uh, towards the end of Mary's song of praise, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to her fathers uh, and deceived forever. So there's this idea that, um, and, and so song of Zechariah, um, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. In other words, also say that it's like, like, um, thinking very favorably. Thinking favorably, yes. If you like, you could see that God, God, if it, it's almost like a sort of, if you sort of visualize that God kind of said, right, let's think about Noah now. So God begins to say, right, I'm, I, I, I'm now, I now have Noah in mind and all those with him in remembering. So he remembered them. He hadn't forgotten them. You know, think of what it's like on the ark. I mean, we'll see later on. You know, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been very comfortable. It's not your, your typical cruise liner, you know, where you've got uh, seven restaurants to choose from and, and a balcony <laughs> view over the Caribbean sunset. It's, it was not a comfortable place. Uh, there wasn't, you know, it was noisy. It was smelly. Uh, it was, uh, uh, dark as mm. we will, uh, see later on and we are at no point told by uh at least in this text how long noah expected to be on this boat of his all we know is that he got on it and now he was on it Hmm. and months have passed and you can just imagine that you know you know you know you know and his Sons and sons' wives and his wife, you know, begin to say, you know, how, how much longer are we going to stay on this? Are we ever going to get off this thing? Are we going to all perish here? Has God forgotten? You know, we built this ark and here we're with these animals. Um, you know, there's so much food and then what? And we're fed up with mucking out all the, all the bees and the livestock. And so <clears throat> this idea, you know, the, the, which is a common predicament of, Christians, both individually and collectively, are going to feel forgotten by, you know, how, how, how much longer does, is this thing going to go on for? Whether it's because we, you know, the, the, uh, because the church is, is in a hostile environment or because our life is hard or because it seems that God has led us to a place where in our life where, where there aren't any, you know, very good prospects at all. And maybe it's the other way around. How much longer? And says, God remembered Noah. Not that he had forgotten that Noah exists, but now it's okay. Now, let's deal with Noah. And this is this, this remembrance that God, once he speaks, once he sets something in motion, then it's as good as done, however long it takes. And, and so, for example, we have, uh, you know, what, what's the time as between Mary singing the Magnificat and God making the promise to Abraham? It's a little shy of 2,000 years. Mm. But when Mary visits Elizabeth in, 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 the, in the early stages of her pregnancy, she can see this is now happening in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to her fathers, to Abraham and seed forever. That was a while, wasn't it? But here it is now. Zechariah can likewise sing of, of God remembering. His mercy, even though 
he in almost certainly did not live anything like long enough to see these things being fulfilled his son growing up and 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 the ministry of jesus and the jesus death and resurrection and we are still waiting for the fulfillment of all things i mean in this this morning's morning devotion the new testament reading was from mark's gospel which talks amongst other things about the coming of the end of the world and that's been longer the gap between us and Jesus speaking those promises longer than that between Abraham and Mary. Has God forgotten? There's that um, really uh, poignant line in Psalm 78. And has God forgotten to be gracious? And of course the answer is no. And he's not slow, he's patient. And so this remembering of you know, that, that God remembered Noah... <clears throat> is a real comfort to us. Because as you know, God, once he has uttered something, once he set the plan in motion, it will come out. He will, in due course, he will feel like, if you put it in very human terms, he will turn his attention to this matter now. And then once he does, things will really begin to happen. And so God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Notice that he didn't, God didn't just care about Noah. He cared about all the living creatures. If you want a theology of creation, of ecology, if you want to kind of have a, a, a foundation for thinking about, you know, what the Christian faith has to do with the planet and the environment and the natural world. Well, here's one place. God made the promises not just to mankind, but he made promises to all his creation. And he remembered them all. He made, essentially, God had made a covenant with the beasts and the livestock as well as with Noah and his family. But that can be made through Noah. And so that it reminds us again of, and here's an, another echo of Genesis 1, where God set mankind as stewards of creation, as, as, as the ones who will have dominion over, who exercise God's own lordship over creation. And Noah does this. So through the activities of Noah, God preserves creation. And it's always a good question to ask ourselves, in a, you know, both individually and societally, you know, kind of more, more, more broadly. Is God, you know, is God preserving his creation through us or is something else happening through our actions? Are we, are we in the, are we in the, uh, business of exercising God's uh, intentions towards the natural world or are we doing something else I think the collective answer for certainly for the wealthy western world is that some be something else <coughs> and so God's remembrance consists of him making a wind blow over the earth <clears throat> and the water subsided so here we have the Two images are uh, beginning to happen. One is the, the image of the water, the wind and the water, the spirit of God hovering above the water. So this is again, you know, this is a, a wind from God. <clears throat> um, wind from God. Um, you could even try, you know, if you wanted to be a little bit, uh, a little bit over literary, because you could translate this grammatically at least that God made a spirit blow over the water. So we are very clearly put in mind and we are now, you know, everything has been now destroyed. That is going to be destroyed. And now we are back to square one. We're back to the spirit and the water. 
Now, and and uh, the end result of this is the appearing of the dry land, which we which is also from Genesis one. Looking forward, can you think of any other biblical narratives where a wind blows to manipulate water? You've got, you've got uh, the um, sorry. Go ahead. Parting of the sea. Yeah, the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, where a strong east wind blows to separate the waters to allow Israel to walk across on dry land, and that's not an accident. There's a you know, there's an organic or direct connection between creation, the flood, and the end of the flood here, and of the entry the escape from Egypt. The escape from Egypt is an escape from destruction, as is the ark, and in and uh, and what happens with uh, at creation is that darkness and formlessness, kind of chaos, if you like, are driven away by God's word. And so, what happens in at uh, in Genesis one is that the, God creates the world. As the, with the spirit hovering over the waters, you know, the, the wind that blows over the, over the earth is the spirit of God himself. Now God sends another wind here to put an end to the destructive flood and to begin the process of renewing creation. And in Exodus, we have the people of Israel as God's chosen people, his holy people, uh, who are being led out of slavery and bondage towards the promised land. And it's, it is, that marks the creation, if you like, of, uh, Israel because they are led from Egypt and from bondage to Pharaoh, from slavery to Sinai, where they become God's people by the giving of the covenant. And so that is, if you like, what, if you could say that what God did to the world through Noah, God did to Israel through Moses, which is a creation of a new people. They already existed. In the same way that the earth existed, but uh, they were renewed by the passing through the Red Sea uh, so that they could come to Sinai and receive the law and the promises, the, the, the covenant. Can you think of anywhere else where you've got this coupling of water and wind stroke spirit? Joshua bringing the people through the Jordan? Yep, which is their entry into the land flowing with milk and honey, the kind of uh, Eden. Anywhere else? Baptism. Tell me more. Well, we're baptised into Christ um, and that means we belong to him. And how does that link to the, the water uh, wind spirit theme. Well, the water's involved in all of them. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure I can find any other sort of. Anyone else? Jonah and the whale. Uh, that's uh, that's somewhat different. <laughs> uh, simply because that's that's there. The wind is not salvific. There is. Uh, the, the storm is um, is is a, is a, if you like an instrument of judgment. Mm. 
Paul was saved, wasn't he? Uh, by the winds blowing him onto the, after he was shipwrecked. Yes. Yes. But there is, I mean, I, I want to pick up the, what Barbara said about baptism. Baptism of Jesus. Baptism of Jesus. Right. Tell me more. So when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon mm-hmm. him as a dove from heaven. Oh, a what? As a, oh, sorry. Uh, You're right. Form. I just want to repeat it. But bodily form like a dove. Like a dove. Mm. Okay. Oh. Okay. And what does Jesus say in John chapter 3 about entering into the kingdom of God? Being born of water and spirit. Water and the spirit. The wind blows where it wills. You hear it sound, but you know know where it comes from. So it is with all everyone who's born of the spirit. So there there are these sort of links. So what happens here becomes like a sort of an archetype or is already based on the archetype of creation. And what happens Throughout the scriptures and throughout the history of the world is that this, the original God's good intention in creating and in such a way that he can say, behold, it was very good, which begins with water and the spirit is being repeated in different forms. So it's be here being restored. The world as a whole is restored when the wind blows over the water and brings forth dry land. People of Israel is being reconstituted not as a slave nation but a free nation under God as the wind blows over the water and leads them into the promised land as into the uh, out of Egypt first to Sinai and then into the promised land through the Jordan and in the same way and Ezekiel speaks of this the giving of the spirit as as in, in and and uh, and as a, you know, in terms of springs of water and so on and now we have in then Jesus speaks what happens to Jesus baptism the spirit and the water are united with the voice of the father which is a very very close connection to the original you know creation here the, the, the word of God had been spoken previously here and the water and the spirit come later uh in in gen in in the no in those narrative but of course then in baptism our baptism we're told there's a washing by water and the spirit so the water and the spirit come together in holy baptism to make us a new creation in Christ Creation, new creation, new creation, new creation. And this is why, for example, Peter on the day of Pentecost says, when people say, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And of course, whenever you see the word baptize, always think of water, because the word itself, I mean, as I've said before, it's um, understandable but slightly unfortunate that the English word baptism comes to us not as a translation of a biblical word, but as a transliteration. So we've just taken the Greek word and put taking the A off the end. So the Greek word is baptisma and we're with baptism, which means that it's a very, very specific term in English. We're referring to the sacrament of baptism. The Greek word is simply means means any kind of washing, uh, making something wet. And so it's always connected with water by definition. Yeah, David. Yeah, I've got a mental blank. Um, 
But I know if you speak to an evangelical, they will say that water is the word of God. Um, probably, and probably not actual water. Um, can you remember where that verse is and are you able to refute uh, or maybe talk about that? The water is the word of God. Yes. Cleansing by the, um, I've got it's somewhere in my head. I just can't get it. But an evangelical will not necessarily think, oh yeah, I've been born again of the, the spirit and water. They'll probably think, uh, yeah, it's the spirit and the word. Ephesians, you're thinking of Ephesians 5. Maybe I am thinking about that. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm just saying that's how someone who would not be a Lutheran would be thinking. Uh, so yeah, having cleansed him by the washing of water with the word. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But it doesn't say washing of water, which is the word. It says washing yeah. of water with the word. Water with the word is baptism. Water without the word is just water. You can drink it, you can bathe in it, you can drown in it. Water with the word is a baptism. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's really, really easy to refute. (laughs) Yes. Although it is easy to refute, but it's it's like Lutheranism is a a big, well-kept secret. You know, the the Christian church, outside the Lutheran church, don't really think along those lines that you've just talked about, about Mm -hmm. baptism. And when you mention it, yes, you, you see the logic of it. You think, yes, that's biblical. But I'm just saying the wider church don't think in those terms. They just assume water is a symbol of the word of God. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is, I, will talk, I talked about this a little bit last time that, you know, when, when he says there, there is only one place in the Bible that speaks of baptism in terms, symbolic terms of representative terms, which is 1 Peter 3. And he doesn't say the baptism represents anything, but rather... The flood represents baptism. Yeah. So it's always that way around. Yeah. I mean, you will, you will not find a single passage in the Bible that says anything other than the baptism does something. And you will struggle to find anybody before by 1520 teaching otherwise in the whole history of the whole church. So, um, on those two, you know, um, I, I think put those two together and you've got a pretty strong argument and you have to do some really special pleading to get around that. Just very, very quickly. So 1520, what happened that somebody thought differently? Uh, nothing particular happened uh, in that. I mean, 1520 is a round figure. Yeah. Um, but you basically had the rise of, I mean, if you're into, into history of the Reformation, if you look up the name Andreas Karlstadt, uh, K-A-R-L-S-T-A-D-T, Karlstadt, who was a close friend and, and right-hand man of Martin Luther at this stage. But he and, a, and, and some other people, um, independently of him, who had been schooled in, I mean, I'll keep this really brief, he schooled in the philosophy of Plato, uh, and uh, rather than, Aris, you know, more than Aristotle, the two ancient Greek philosophers, uh, basically had this mindset because of the influence of Plato. And again, you can look up, Plato on, on you know look look up Wikipedia I'll be summary of who played this but the di- very sharp distinction between matter and spirit, which is not what you know Plato himself wouldn't have put it in those terms, but this idea that reality is invisible essentially consists of ideas and and and, and, and spiritual and therefore spiritual realities also can't be material by definition, which was an importation of uh, these sort of uh, Greek pagan ideas into into Christian thought and therefore say, you know, God, if God is a spirit and he works spiritually, therefore the material things can't be the actual means because those are material, not spiritual. Um, I mean, there had been, 
over a thousand years previously in the so from the late the third century onwards platonic philosophy was hugely influential for several centuries in the church uh, and did cause some harm and mischief in the process most of the really famous early church fathers were influenced by plato quite heavily but they were better theologians better better theologians of the scriptures at the time and they nevertheless held on to the sacraments and it wasn't until the the kind of the second flowering uh in the in the early 1500s that this the problem came um let's get back to the text then so we have uh fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed so what we see is if you like the 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 beginning of the flood is if you like be now undone so uh, the flood began with the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens being open and now they're closed the rain from the heavens was restrained or had held back it paused that is meaning that there must have been something around the earth then for, uh, for that to happen. Either that or it's a figure of speech. Oh. As in when it says the uh, heavens, were, the windows of the heavens were closed, the rain from heavens was restrained, is either two different things or equally well it could be two, you know, what, two different ways of saying the same thing. In other words, uh, you know, uh, that the rain, the windows of the heavens were closed meant they stopped raining. And he just says it twice in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and then, and he says, the waters receded from the earth continually. They receded and receded. Um, the ESV says continually, NIV says steadily, I think. Um, and then at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. So this is 150 days. Uh, is this 150 days from the start of the flood? Is this 150 days from the wind begin to blow? Uh, we will see in a moment. But we're talking about half a year now. And then in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, very precise notice, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Any idea where that is? Turkey. Yeah, so Turkey, Armenia, that kind of uh, region, uh, north, uh, eastern Turkey on the um, and, and, and southwestern Armenia. By the way, if you want to do if you want to climb to Mount Ararat to go and see the place, you can't. It's closed off. At least it was until recently uh, by the authorities. Is that because they thought they'd found the ark? Uh, or because, uh, more likely, I think, because it's, it's considered to be too, you know, like a holy mountain as a result. All right. Uh, I'd be very surprised if there's anything left of a wooden structure after so many years. Yeah. Uh, and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. So I know they, you know, you could, the, the ark struck ground in the seventh month on the 17th day and until the 10th, another three months, or two and a half months, the tops of the mountains were seen. So this is slow progress. God remembered Noah, he says, at the beginning, and then months and months passed by. The real school of patience. One thing we don't hear is any voice of complaint from Noah anywhere here. Sheer gratitude. This reminds me a little bit of uh, that hymn, one of those few Lutheran hymns that has become uh, well known, 
in England, uh, outside the Lutheran Church as well, uh, and in fact throughout the world. Now thank we all our God. Mm. We all know this hymn, and we all love yeah. this hymn, yes? Yeah. Does anybody know mm-hmm. the circumstances of his composition? It was written during the Thirty Years' mm-hmm. War. Mm. Um, Carol, you've heard this story before in the old people. Yeah. Can okay, you remember yeah. it? Not very well at the moment. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Uh, Thirty Years' War, and if you don't know much about the Thirty Years' War, just think that the First World War was a pretty benign thing by you know by comparison, because the Thirty Years' War actually did go on for thirty years. And it killed off somewhere around a third to a half of the population of Germany. And you had various armies crisscrossing what we now call Germany, including the armies of Sweden. And the king of Sweden is often remembered as the saviour of Protestantism because he won a couple of crucial battles. But the Swedish army was a pretty, pretty, uh, well, it was like the, any old army in those days. You'd rather they didn't come to your town to visit. And even though they were officially on the Protestant side, they besieged a Protestant town. And they besieged it for the best part of a year. Uh, And in that year, you can imagine what the death toll was. And the uh, the pastor of that church was a man called Martin Rinkart. And Mr. Rinkart spent a very considerable part of that year conducting funerals. And when after, I think, about 11 months, the siege finally lifted and he had a bit of breather, he picked up his pen and he wrote a poem. And that poem was not, has God forgotten to be gracious or why did you do this to us? Or is there even a God when life's like this? He said, now thank we all our God, is what he wrote. And which is, yeah, reminds me a little bit of uh, Noah here. You know, this is life was really hard. And when he, when the hardship finally comes to end and the reply, the, the response is, well, thank you. Thanking God and praising him, just like Noah goes and to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving at the end. And Madeira, may I suggest that we have perhaps something to learn about this? And we, we, our, our current, uh, home arrest is, is, is reasonably benign compared to almost anything, anything on this scale. I think, I think most of us have a more comfortable life than the, the inhabitants of, of, of the ark. And yet, there are hardships, and so when we do finally come come out of this all, perhaps we ought to have a particular feast of thanksgiving to God mm-hmm. for our newly found freedom. Mm. And then at the end of 40 days, there's another month and a bit, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. Now, it why did he send these birds? <clears throat> See if there's oh. any dry land. Yeah. See if there's any dry land. Now, what does that tell you about the window? <laughs> Must have been very small. Yeah, probably quite small and uh, probably quite high up. Mm. Which is why I said earlier that it was probably quite a dark place as well. So they were in the ark mm. and the window was, you know, you, he had to find out where there's dry land by sending them. They could see the tops of the mountains. So they could see up, but they couldn't see out down. Yes, David. Yeah, yeah. Just um, I'm imagining Noah and his family being in that ark. Probably we've all imagined it. If you're full of, full of um, beasts and domestic animals, you know the amount of manure, the amount of smell, 
And that that's not healthy to be enclosed in an ark for all those nearly a year. Um, so although we're we're safe in Christ, you know, safe in the in, in the church, is it is it uh, feasible to say it's messy in church life? There's still things to be dealt with and shoveled out, and or is that maybe pushing it a bit too far? Well, it's, again, it's. <clears throat> I think the, if you, if you said that in a meeting of pastors, somebody would say that will preach. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, that's, that's not a point that's made by the scripture itself. So we can kind of extrapolate that. Uh, yeah. but it's not a direct, you know, it's not a direct sort of inference from, from the scripture. So, but yes, I, you will definitely preach. You know, there's the, uh, you know, so long as we live on this earth, there will always be, you know, our, the, the gifts of God are always mixed in with human sin and with the, all the consequences of being the way that we are. Um, you know, any church that is uh, healthy will be quite a sort of um, rat bag of random, you know, kind of motley crew of rat bags uh, just because we are who we are. And I say every church is healthy because a healthy church is one which brings people together who are united above all by their faith rather than by having other things in common. And therefore, you should end up with a really random collection of people who shouldn't be, who really shouldn't be forming an association at all, uh, which is part of the grace of God. So, yeah, yeah. there will always be manure uh, in the bottom of the ark, definitely. Yeah. But yeah. as I said, that's, that's, an in, uh, that's a sort of second, second, secondary inference rather than a direct uh, comment in, on the text. And so he sent forth a raven. Now, ravens, what, what sort of reputation do ravens have? They are carnivores. They can eat meat. Mm-hmm. They're carnivores? Where a dove is, um, just ravens and leaves. Yeah. Unclean? And it, they're unclean, yes. Mm. They're unclean animals because they're scavengers. Mm. They don't just, they don't necessarily go for hunting for fresh meat. They, they eat roadkill, uh, mm. in, a, in the modern world. Um, what are they associated with culturally? Death. Death. Mm. And, uh, and certainly Western culture also can lay, uh, older Western culture, things like sorcery. You know, you mm. might find a raven somewhere hanging around a, a, a coven of witches. They can speak ravens like parrots. Well, they, they're very good imitators. Yeah. They're intelligent and they imitate. They can't speak, but they, they learn to imitate sound. The sound mm. they can mm. learn. Yeah. And they're very, they're, they're so quite independent and intelligent birds, but they are, I mean, the key is they are, he sent forth a raven. The raven is an unclean animal. Remember, there were clean and unclean animals and birds on the ark. Mm. And it says, and it's a little bit of, um, uh, the, the translation is, is a little bit uh, difficult here because it's a, a sort of slightly odd and vague expression, but he says it went to and fro or went, kept flying back and forth. Until the water dried up from the earth, which wasn't now. I went out, and what's the implication? That he didn't find any dry land. Well, he kept flying to and fro until it did. Mm. But we know from the rest of this chapter that that was some time away. Mm. So he didn't come back into the ark. How did he eat? Well, we don't know. 
I mean, I would imagine that there was plenty of uh, rotting meat around as the dry land began to appear. Uh, but, you know, maybe it's a sort of thing that it kind of would fly and then you perch on the roof but refuse to come back in or something like that. Um, we don't know, but there was he kind of he sent an unclean animal bird out and uh, he wouldn't come. He kept flying to and fro. He was no good for the task in the end, despite his intelligence. And then he sent forth a dove. Now, dove is a dove is a clean bird. And there's something again where a reason why we should all really get fluent in Hebrew rather than bother with different English translations, because we're missing out a bit of a word play here. Uh, Noah, uh, in Hebrew is Noah. There you go. That's your first Hebrew word for the afternoon. <laughs> a dove in Hebrew is Hayona. So you've got Noah and Hayona. Sounds very similar. And in fact, in verse uh, 9, the dove did not find a place to set a foot or resting place, and that word is Manoah. So you've got Noah, Manoah, and Hayona. Is there's a kind of wordplay and pun going on with this word? But no, the 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 Hayona, the the um, dove here, is sent out to be well. What's its job? To find land, and therefore it is in fact a it it holds a particular post or office. What is that office that it holds or post? Um. I don't know if it's the answer, but it, it speaks to the Holy Spirit. That later on, we'll come to that as well. But it, it's, it's got a very specific task. It has to find land so that they know that it's soon that they'll be coming to land. Because because Noah can't see. So it's to be the eyes for yeah. Noah. Hmm. It's no, if you like, it, it, it acts in Noah's stead to go hmm. out and see for Noah, what Noah can't, can't see, and to get in, and so it, if like it's, it's a, it's Noah's representative sent out to do, to be his eyes, mm. so that he, Noah can knows uh, when the time is right. <clears throat> uh, Couldn't he see out of the window? Apparently not. Oh, yeah. Cut another one. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. So. Um, and and so it, we are. We've got this um, a dove who is acting, who's been sent out by Noah in his stead to do his work, to do his work, to do his bidding. And as you already, David, noted, this gives us a very, very strong suggestion here of, of like a prefiguring of the work of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, Noah has been chosen by God to bring to safety creation and lead them into a new creation. And now Noah himself sends out the dove, uh, if you like, to prepare the work, the, you know, this, the, the, um, the restoration creation by finding the dry ground. Or by the command and, and bidding of God. And so here we see again, if you like, an image and a picture of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who himself was called, you know, if you like, was sent into the world by God to bring about the new creation, to bring uh, humanity into the new creation that God had prepared. And so Jesus did what he had, what you know, he, he, Jesus did his work. Um, and then, as he promised to his disciples uh, in uh, before he died, and then carried out at the uh, on the day of Pentecost, he then sent forth the Spirit to gather to himself those who are being saved. And the Spirit, as we have already seen, was seen at the baptism of Jesus himself in the form of a dove. And if we don't make that connection, then we, well, we should. It's, it's really, really kind of clear. I mean, why, why dove? This is why dove. And so we see here, if you like, how this helps us to understand what is going on in our salvation, what is going on in the work of the church. You know, when we say in the creed, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was born, suffered, died, rose, ascended, and will come again. And then we come to the third article, of the Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church. So the Holy Christian Church is the work of the Spirit, sent by Jesus into the world, to create, to, to bring people into this new creation. Just as Noah sent the dove out into the, um, into the sort of barren landscape to find the dry ground in which new creation can flourish. Can you see that connection there? Mm. And so we, again, when we think of what happens therefore when we are <coughs> baptized, when we're baptized, we can say, we can think of it in terms of the, you know, we have been brought into the ark of the Christian church where we are being saved. But we can also think of it in other terms, like this is this is when the when the dove, you know, the Holy Spirit comes to us and finds us and gathers us, you know, so that here is dry ground, here is life, new life, which uh, which is spirit, um, is the work of the spirit in us. He brings us, if you like, into the sphere of, you know, or brings us in, into the world which uh, Jesus is is creating, the new creation. Um, now the dove goes out three times goes there first finds no Manoah there's no no resting place for Noah no dry ground waited seven days a full week again seven days should bring us bell ring some Genesis 1 bells should it not six days of work seventh day was holy to the Lord on the seventh day mm-hmm. he sends out the, the, uh, the, the dove again came to me in the evening remember all the all creation is always evening and morning evening and morning so presumably was sent out in the morning came to me in the evening at the end of the day and behold in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf now why does it say freshly plucked because it, it must was. have been near at hand for it to have done it to bring it back. Well, what does it? Yeah, but what does it tell us about what's going on outside? Well, it's, he can get to a tree, a tree that's alive. There's new yeah. growth has been you know, growing. New growth. He wasn't kind of. He wasn't something that was flotsam and jetsam from before the flood. Something somehow new. kind of floated on the surface, and so he found a fresh growth. Olive. Why olive? So that's what grows in that part of the country. What does that teach us, though? What do you get from olive trees? Oil. <laughs> oil, 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 
Dove oil. Anointing. Anointing. Anointing, thank you, yes. So the kind of the imagery, the symbol. Now, these, the, none of the things that we're saying would have been necessarily obvious to know at the time. But now we look back and say, oh, mm. oh, yes, okay, that's what he means. So he comes back and he comes up with an olive tree, the, 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 the leaf of a tree that produces oil, which is the, and, and when we have anointing in the Old Testament or in the Bible, it's always, uh, unless otherwise mentioned, like alabaster oil with Jesus, is the, it's, it's olive oil. That was the oil that they used. It's also the oil for the lamp that mm-hmm. they, you know, in for oil lamps, they burnt olive oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, the, the ten, the five foolish virgins, five wise virgins and the oil in their lamps. It all kind of, you start to put it all together. You get a rich tapestry of what's being depicted here. It all happened, and you know you are quite right, Mike. And I think it's always a very important thing to say why that because that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> we, it's, this is not just an a, this is not just a sort of mythological story that you know, <laughs> like like uh, the hare and the tortoise or or Atlas or something like that. You know, this is this actually happened, but it just didn't just it didn't only happen. It teaches us something very important about God's salvation, and. Wait another seven days. We've got the third week. So threes and sevens. That's a, that, okay, nice biblical numbers. And he sent forth a dove and she did not return to him anymore. And now he knew. The 601st year in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters of her dried from off the earth. The whole year has passed. Okay, what's the longest boat trip you've ever been on this one was a year (laughs) and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold looked and behold the face of the ground was dry so he took the roof off the covering doesn't say what the roof was made of the word covering however occurs in another place you you can have two double extra rich chocolate hobnobs if you know this one (laughs) I'm going to go for it. Go on, go on. I think it's going to be the Ark. Yes, the cover. The Ark of the Covenant. Not, almost, almost. Oh, no. Tabernacle. The tabernacle. Oh, the tabernacle. (laughs) Okay, that's the, the, not the mercy seat, but the, you remember the tabernacle, the, the, the tent sanctuary that, uh, that God had Moses build, that had over it a covering made of skins. And that's the word here. So it could be that the ark, you know, the roof of the ark also was not made of wood, but it was made of made of uh, you know leather and fabrics and so on. We don't know. And so again, the 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 covering was removed. And when you remove the covering, obviously you saw the first thing you see is the sky. Uh, but yeah, he looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. So Noah entered the ark. When the ground was dry and when he comes out, it's dry again and all kinds of stuff has been happening. There's been a lot of death and destruction and a lot of water, but none of that took place in Noah's experience. He was in the ark all the time. He he leaves, he enters the ark from dry ground and when he comes out, it's dry ground again. And that, again, I would suggest to you is a real, really helpful picture of our salvation because we, you know, like um, in that in that um, 
uh, that other Lutheran hymn that has become uh, quite well known um, in the English speaking world, uh, Lord of our life and God of our salvation, which uh, in the um, uh, in the Lutheran service book, uh, we, we sing it uh, always um, at least at least once uh, once a year. And uh, it says, see round your ark the hungry billows curling. See how your foes their banners are unfurling. And with great spite their fiery darts are hurling. Oh, Lord, preserve us. You know, when you look around, if you like, outside the church. I mean, do you ever have this experience where you come to church and you kind of think, well, you know. And now I'm going to have to go back to my ordinary life again. You know, you have this kind of, <coughs> you have this God gives us these sort of uh, transfiguration moments, you know, where we kind of get to just rest uh, rest in his, you know, in, in the promises of his word and his gift and they're kind of feeling, and now we have to go back to everyday life and it actually just return to ordinary normal life with all his stresses and all his strains. And it would be just nice to be able to kind of stay a bit longer because the church is and Christians are surrounded by all kinds of dangers and distractions. But the reality of our salvation is that when God takes us, he places us into the ark and we will not leave that ark at all until there's dry ground. In other words, when all the storms of destruction are over. This is a great promise. You know, that's why we, it's so important that we don't go, you know, we don't go for, uh, you know, go swimming off the ark at any point. We don't jump off. But when the ark lands, when, when, when our, um, earthly life, and the life, you know, the church's life on earth is ended. What we will step onto is not more of this, but we will step into the new creation. Where sin has been washed away and death and destruction have been done away with. And all we now we're left with is a fresh, new, perfect creation. And this is kind of this is Noah's experience. It's a real he leaves dry ground. He comes back to dry ground. But when he comes back, the earth has been cleansed. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. So it was a bit, presumably it was muddy until then. And then God tells Noah to go out in reverse. So in chapter 7, uh, we had uh, Noah entering the ark or God telling rather Noah to enter the ark in verses 7 to 9 uh, Noah and sons and sons wife went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood and the animals and uh, went into the ark clean and birds and creeping things and now we are told that God told to get off the ark you and your wife your sons your sons wife with you and bring you out with you every living that is with you of all flesh, birds, animals, every creeping that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And we already noted that this was a real reference again to uh, to Genesis, where this command to be fruitful and multiply was given in Genesis to the birds and the fish that they may swarm. And now all animals, land and air, are commanded to come out and to be fruitful and multiply on the earth and swarm on the earth. So it's not just that they were coming out and restoring, but that the, the life, if you like, that's been re replacing the old life is abundant. 
They're swarming here to swarm on the earth. And so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Tell me about by families. Well, they bred in the time that they were there and there was more of them. Yeah. How does that link to Genesis 1, though? Does it? When God created all things, different things, we are told about uh, God creating things, all things according to their kinds. And so now they come out, it's a different expression, but it's the same principle. They come out by families. Again, they come in an orderly fashion. So again, it's a, it's just a faint echo of Genesis 1. It's just the, the, the kind of the author makes it constantly clear. Think, think of creation. Which leaves us with just the closing verses. And what really happens at the end of this chapter that we get into the uh, next section, which starts here. And runs all the way uh, then to verse uh, 17 of chapter 9. Uh, so in some ways it would make sense for us to uh, stop here and uh, carry on next time. Because there isn't there is more of a break here than there is at the end of the chapter. You might feel that you're not getting your money's worth because we, we, we haven't overrun or even fulfilled our an hour and a half. But sometimes this is how it goes. So I suggest that we stop here and then pick up next time from, from here all the way to uh, at least the uh, halfway through, just past halfway point of chapter nine. Uh, because then chapter, when we get to chapter 10, uh, there is not that much to study except the pronunciation of lots of Hebrew names which, of course, in itself is a very worthwhile thing, but uh, won't take us very long. Um, which means that we've got just, we've got, well, we've got loads of time, but uh, time for uh, questions, discussions, um, comments, uh, plenty. I've got one observation. Um, it's regarding the raven, and it was back in verse um, 7. We were talking about it and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Yeah. I was thinking again in my head, to and fro, where does, where else is that in the Bible? And then it kind of hit me, uh, Job one, when it talks about Satan, um, coming into the Lord's presence. And the Lord said to Satan in verse seven, Job one, from where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Is it fair then to say in Genesis 8, the raven is kind of connected with, say, Satan's work, as opposed to the Holy Spirit and the dove's work? You know, I hadn't made that connection myself, but now that you say it, it is striking. as a striking resemblance, isn't it? Yeah. Um, So I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about it. So I'd, I'd have to sort of think about it. But certainly there it is a striking resemblance uh, in that and the, the the raven being an unclean animal. Yeah, and, and, then, and the then, noticeable yeah. thing, if I just say, is the noticeable thing here is that the raven, you know, it's sent out if you like to serve, and it doesn't. It just goes to and fro until it gets what it wants. Yeah, 
Yeah. So then, then, there's that imagery. You, you just mentioned though that something else to think about. Elijah though was fed by the ravens. Yes. So I'm just thinking out loud as well. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So Elijah's it, fed by ravens until the water runs out. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, what it's. It's good to find, find these connections and at the same time always be cautious not to make too much more of them than the text can bear. Yeah. Because we're told the ravens are sent by God. Yeah. In, in that case. And obviously it's Noah who sends that ravens. But yeah, it's just, uh, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for, uh, noticing that for us. <coughs> any other comments or questions about any of this? Well, it's just, um, uh, a, well, I suppose it's, uh, Something I thought of is that uh, they all left the ark, but there wouldn't be any food, would there? Nothing grown, nothing fruiting. Uh, well, olive trees were already green by this time, but the grass would have grown as well. Well, I, I, for, I mean, oh, again, we don't know. I mean, we don't know the details. No, uh, and we can only presume. And we, we again, if you think of the passage of time, we're told after a year they. The, the earth, uh, you know, there's dry land. It, it was another two months, the end of the second month, that the, the earth had dried out. So, you know, at the, at the <laughs> very least, we could say that they were living off provisions until then. I mean, I imagine was, they must have had the animals uh, curtained off, mustn't they, staged off from the rest? I imagine that would have been important, yes. Yeah. Well, they may be known eating eggs from the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, what... You need a lot of chickens to feed all that lot. <laughs> yes, and I'd, it won't be much help to the uh, to the cows on board. No. Well, the cows would have milk. Mm, cows don't eat milk. Cows eat grass. I know, but <laughs> the humans have milk. And... Yeah, you know. But yeah, so we don't. We. I mean, the, we there's a lot of details we're not told. I know. I Ask no when we when you meet him. Yes. Yeah. I imagine there'll be a queue of people by then asking that question. <laughs> mm. Any other comments or thoughts, questions on, on any of this? Mm. Well, I hope that it's been uh, uh, helpful to you and, and yes. hopefully uh, you know, made, made better sense of the of the passage and also, as I as we said at the beginning, hopefully also put you more in mind of of the work of Jesus uh, for us uh, as we study this. Next time we will find out more and we will uh, say less about baptism. We'll say more about the Lord's Supper next time. Right. Uh, end of eight and beginning of nine, the covenant uh, between uh, God and Noah. And we might even mention rainbow flags once or twice. Okay. Not mm. with reference to the NHS or anything else. Of that sort. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your gracious promises and that you remember your promises. Thank you that you have gathered us into the ark of your holy church and for the promise of salvation. And we pray that you would give us steadfastness and patience as we await the fulfillment of your promises to us. That we would rejoice in your gifts. Heed the calling of your word. Serve you with willing obedience while following our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. Amen.